It's Tuesday, October 12th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, and we'll be talking Major League Baseball and all things Cleveland, Guardians, and playoffs, everything for the next 20 minutes here. Hoynesy, good to talk to you again as we uh, are, are getting into the offseason. Uh, another couple of playoff games last night. We, we saw the Red Sox eliminate the 100-win Tampa Bay Rays in uh, game four of their AL Division Series, another walk-off for the Red Sox. Uh, kind of surprised because a lot of us thought that the Tampa Bay was, was pretty loaded this year. Yeah, Joe, and uh, you know, Kiki Hernandez, what a, what a postseason. He had, what, seven to eight straight hits? Mm-hmm. And I can't believe they didn't you know, intentionally walk uh, Hernandez there in the ninth inning. Uh, you know, first base was open. Uh, <clears throat> take your chances, but you know he they they kind of set up the guy to be the hero, and he was already the hero of the series. He hits the sacrifice fly that wins it. So uh, it's just the postseason is cruel, man. You know, just think of Tampa Bay. Just you know, had their best season ever. You know, they're doing it on a you know a reduced payroll. They're 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 creating a, like a miracle, and it just ends. You know, it just ends and in four games and it's over and you're going home. And, and you think about it at any one time, uh, you could legitimately say that the Rays had, you know, two or three of the best players on the field there with, with Wander Franco and the, the, the run that he's had and with Randy Rosarina and the way he showed up big for, you know, playoff series and, and postseason series just seems to be in his makeup, but you're right. Uh, Kike Hernandez, uh, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, uh, you can't really underestimate what what Boston can throw at you. Uh, I think a, a lot of the league was sort of sleeping on them heading into the playoffs just because, you know, they sort of faded down the stretch after being strong earlier this season. Yeah, and you get them in that ballpark, Joe. That's their ballpark. They know how to play there. Those fans get into it. It's a tough environment. It's It really is, you know, and, and – uh, uh, I just thought, uh, you know, we heard about all these hard-throwing uh, – we saw them. We saw Tampa Bay roll all those guys out there throwing 99 and 100 miles an hour, and, you know, that didn't work this time. You know, they 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 kind of – Boston caught up to them, and just really after the first couple games in Tampa Bay, well, the first – after the opener in Tampa Bay, they they pretty much hammered that Tampa Bay staff. Right, and and then you, you turn it around at Boston's bullpen, Nick Pavetta, uh, had a season, uh, a series, uh, had a season all in a series right there. Uh, he was unhittable and and really just sort of uh, one of the reasons why Boston was able to 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 come through and prevail after that that first game. Um, it, yeah, they're 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 now going to sit and wait for the winner of the the White Sox and Astros, and we could be looking at an Alex Cora versus Houston matchup, which which would be interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that that is right. Yeah, that 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 really is interesting. Because uh, Houston, you know, it looks like you know they they seem to be the better team here against uh, the White Sox. And you know, the White Sox are starting Carlos Rodon. Um, you know, today he's 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 kind of struggled at the end of the season. Uh, we you know obviously the Indians saw him at his best those two starts against the Tribe and in April when he no hit him and, uh, and then came back and beat him again at home, you know, the, in the, the following week. But, uh, you know, this is a guy that's had a history arm problems and they're kind of, you know, they, I, 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 don't, I guess they're out of options. Even with the rain out, they, 
I don't know if they could have brought anybody back on short rest, but you know, Rodon Rodon is a guy, and we'll see how he does today. And he's he's opposed by Lance McCullers, who you know went out and had a, a masterful game in game one, and uh, just just the way he's pitched down the stretch here and and, and into the, the first outing in the playoffs uh, for him, this will be his second uh, appearance. Uh, you know, he, he gives you a lot to think about, especially with the way he can spin a curveball up there. Yeah, he is. He is really he's on fire right now. And, you know, he's he's back in the rotation. He had, like you said, he's a game one winner and uh, he could put him away right now. But there's always some controversy going on with with Houston and, and Tony, uh, Tony La Russa. And well, La Russa has kind of stayed out of this. But one of his relievers, uh, Ryan Tapera, is, is back in the news with this stuff. Right, yeah, he's uh, insinuating or uh, I, I guess flat out accusing uh, the Astros of stealing signs again uh, in the first two games that took place at Minute Maid Park. He he pointed to the uh, strikeout numbers uh, by the Astros and uh, you know just the whole idea that they could they be so bold and so brazen as to do it uh, again after being caught and being punished and go putting baseball through that all once already. Uh, I, I really, I, I tend to not want to believe it, especially under Dusty Baker, but again, it, it just, you, you can't really say yes or no. It, they have a track record. Tapera is right. But unless you've got rock solid evidence, you don't go saying anything in the media like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you, but that, that's the psychological edge, you know, they have when, when, you know, you can go five years from now, people, teams will be going into Minute Maid Park thinking that the Astros are cheating, that they have an edge, that that they're doing something, you know, uh, sketchy, as Tempera said. So, uh, you know, they, they created it. They were punished for it, although not as severely as a lot of people would have liked to seen. But that that home field advantage is is still there. Yeah, I just remember back to 2018 and how the Indians – when they went back there to, to play in the, in the postseason and they knew it and they were aware of it uh, going on. And, and they were talking, you know, in vague generalities about having to make changes, having to close ranks. And, and just for that trip, having to, you know, be extra cautious uh, about their stuff, but it, you know, but we've seen it permeate throughout. And now I guess everyone in baseball is hyper aware of this whole, you know, cheating or, uh, trying to get a different advantage. We saw with the, the sticky substances, you know, blew up this year. Uh, we saw Kevin Kiermeyer steal a, 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 a crib sheet, a note from, uh, you know, the, the uh, from a, a catcher on a play at the plate and, and get thrown at, you know, for that. Yeah, in, in Toronto. In Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's basically it, the old adage is if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, but, uh, I think teams are, are hyper aware of these kinds of things right now. And it, like you said, it, it creates an advantage for the other team. Yeah. I love it when, you know, you, you'll be watching a game and a pitcher takes his hat off and uh, looks at, looks at his uh, cheat sheet or his card, you know, scouting report. It goes to the catcher. Are, are we doing what sign one, <laughs> sign two or sign three, you know, <laughs> like if I was a catcher, my mind would be blown up. I, I couldn't keep track of all that stuff. Could, could you imagine Yogi Berra uh, having a, a cycle through signs <laughs> one, two, and three? You know, I just got, I don't know. I, 
you know that the, the catchers have to be the mo most cerebral guys out there on the field in, in a lot of cases. But then you talk to a guy like Austin Hedges, and he just has so much fun, and he's you know so so lively that you, you, you tend to forget, oh, yeah, he's so engaged when the game is going on and so locked in that he can run through three different sets of signs in his head. That's, that's the amazing thing to me is that's the, the way that some of these guys can, can pull that off. Yeah, I, I remember sitting in a bar with uh, Rick Dempsey once when he was catching for the Indians, and he flashed a, like a bunch of signs at me, you know, like trying to say, tell, tell me what kind of pitch or you know, just showing what, what a catcher goes through. I had no, I, he could have been speaking sign language to me, Joe. I had no idea what he was talking about. Well, I guess technically he was speaking sign language. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, I only know a few uh, uh, signs in American Sign Language, and that uh, they would probably not go over well if I used them on the field uh, <laughs> during a baseball game. So we'll, we'll tend to uh, avoid that and move on. Uh, not uh, not a lot. They're radio silent over in uh, in Cleveland in terms of the Guardians and what's next with them. Uh, we did hear rumblings uh, that within the next week or so, maybe uh, there might be some movement on the Guardian or on the Indians sign above the scoreboard at Progressive Field. The possibility that that could be coming down. Uh, you know, certainly we'd want to get over there and get get photos of that happening and talk to the the club, finding out what would happen to that uh, big 80 foot aluminum sign. Uh, so, you know, keep an eye out for that. Uh, other, other than that, we're, we're sort of in this holding pattern until the end of the World Series when, you know, these dates start lining up with, with free agency in the end of the season. Yeah, and, you know, they've got to hire a hitting coach. I'm sure that's already, you know, started. They're already requesting, you know, can they talk permission to talk to different guys or maybe interviewing internal candidates. Uh, you know, the uh, Instructional League is going on in uh, – in uh, a good year, uh, the, I, I think the, I'm not sure when the Arizona Fall League starts, but you know they've named that roster. They've got several prospects going out to there, and they'll be playing for uh, Scottsdale, the Scottsdale mm -hmm. Scorpions out there. Right. So there, there's stuff to monitor on on that side of thing in terms of uh, the, the composition of the coaching staff and even the the front office. Like we talked uh, yesterday about Carter Hawkins and James Harris. Uh, from the, uh, you know, player development side and the uh, Hawkins, uh, an assistant general manager. Um, th these are guys that, uh, you know, could be plucked up by other teams uh, right now. Uh, but, you know, those aren't really any of the things that are really big pressing questions. We've got a list here of sort of the pressing questions for the Guardians, the offseason priorities for the Guardians coming up uh, as, as we progress through this offseason. Uh, let's start number one right off the bat. Uh, I guess it's it's three days after the end of the World Series. The Indians have to make up their minds and make a decision on uh, contract options for Jose Ramirez and Roberto Perez. Uh, the, the Ramirez option seems to be a, a no-brainer. The Perez one seems to be, you know, probably one that they would, uh, you know, take a little more, you know, time thinking about. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, from what I've heard, Joe, uh, you know, they, they will pick up, the, you know, Jose Ramirez's uh, $12 million option um, for uh, 2022. Uh, Perez's option, you know, I just can't see him picking up a $7 million option on a guy that, you know, hasn't been healthy for the last two years. 
Now, you know, I, I hate to say that. I like Perez. Uh, do I think he'll get a job? Yeah, I think he'll get a job somewhere as probably as a backup catcher. Uh, could it be in Cleveland? Could they bring him back on a, on a lesser deal? You know, that's always possible. It doesn't usually happen. But uh, so we'll see what happens there. Right. As I'm looking at the uh, the contracts that are, are listed uh, under baseball reference, uh, they have Ramirez at $11 million uh, team option for next year with a $2 million buyout. So, uh, you know, I don't see the, him, them not picking up the $11 million. Uh, in 2023, it goes up to a $13 million uh, team option, and there is no buyout with that one. So uh, I think there's pretty, pretty much guaranteed maybe both of those options are going to get picked up at some point. Uh, Perez, uh, could, could actually, could they pick up both of those options at the same time or uh, hmm. just, just rip up uh, you know, the last two years of that contract and extend it? Yeah, sure they could. Sure. I don't know if they would pick them up both at the same time, but I think, uh, you know, I don't think there's a clause in the contract that says they could, but they could probably could if they just, if they wanted to extend them, if, uh, if they could reach a deal on an extension. Right. Uh, as far as Perez goes, it's $7 million for next season with a $450,000 buyout. Uh, and so I guess that's what we're saying here is we're, we're probably predicting that uh, Perez gets the $450,000 buyout. And if they, you know, want to try and rework something with him as a, as a free agent, or uh, just go ahead and let him probably, I could, I could imagine there are a lot of teams where that would, you know, contending teams that could definitely use him in a, you know, in a variety of roles there. Yeah. He's a two time, you know, he's won the gold glove the last two years when he's healthy, you know, it's a, it's a frontline defensive catcher calls a great game. He's got a great arm, uh, but he has to be healthy. And uh, he just hasn't been there that he's just hasn't been able to answer the bill the last two years. All right. Uh, continuing with guardians off season priorities, uh, priority number two actually should be priority number one. I think every season, uh, how do they fill out the outfield? Are they going to do so by trade or via free agency? Uh, it looks like at the end of the season, they identified a key piece. We, we talked to Terry Francona and he said, you know, it's, it's you, you pretty much pencil in Miles Straw as your uh, leadoff man, center fielder. Uh, the one thing that Tito likes about Straw is that you know that when the ball's hit in the air, it's going to get caught and you're going to be out. Uh, and, and that's so that sort of settles that question. Uh, we looked at a couple of options yesterday in terms of uh, guys who could be free agents. Some of them maybe might be out of the uh, the price range for the Guardians, but you're, you're talking they've got to address this somehow. Do they try to thread the needle and and make a trade, package some prospects and uh, maybe guys who who could be rule five eligible and, and move those guys along to try and get a guy, a, a more veteran uh, corner outfield bat that that plugs into the lineup. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at it, Joe, I mean, there, there are options other than after straw are kind of, they're all like guys we've seen a lot of and that really haven't really jumped out and, you know, really taken control of their destiny with with Zimmer and, and Daniel Johnson and Mercado and, and uh, Harold Ramirez. I mean, they're, you know, I'm not trying to be a wise guy, but they look like fourth outfielders to me. You know, guys that 
you know, could be a defensive specialist or a guy, a, a good pinch hitter coming off the bench or a, a guy with speed. And you don't see that, that combination, you know, what they need is a guy that can do a little bit of everything. And they really don't have that. So I would think, you know, the, the best course of action would be to, yeah, to package some of these young guys. You know, we saw, you know, a lot of people in the, in the minor league system take a step forward this year, you know, kind of with power, with, with, uh, you know, batting average, with moving up in the system. So I think, I would think there's some attractive people, you know, players there, and maybe they can swing a deal like that and then get out of the, the roster crunch as well. Right. I, I think you're, you're talking about trying to add two outfielders here, one via trade, one via uh, signing a free agent and actually paying somebody. Uh, if, if you're going to make a, a trade for one, I think that guy maybe probably could be a more versatile guy, uh, like a, a Mark Canna, who's a free agent, but like, uh, or, a, or a Chris Taylor, a guy who plays a lot of positions, some guys that are in that mold. That, so that sort of maybe leads me to believe those wouldn't be guys that they would want to sign, uh, even though they would be ultimately more affordable. Uh, I, I think that the guy that you want to sign is more of a, a right field, you know, good arm, big bat that you can, you know, plug, plug into the, the middle or upper third of the, the batting work. Yeah. And, but if you look back at the history of this club, they, you know, who was Michael Brant? Michael Brantley was the last guy. Puig was probably another mm -hmm. guy that played every day. Other than that, you know, they, they've always been kind of platoon oriented. You know, they've, they've saved money in the outfield and I don't know if they, they'll continue to do that, but, you know, you know, I think sometimes you just reach kind of the end of the rope here, the end of the line. And, you know, that's not working. It didn't work this year. You know, it just, right. you, know, you just can't keep running out four, fourth outfielders out there and get and try to and expect to get production or, you know, winning production now question out of those 4a outfielders that you mentioned Mercado Zimmer uh, Johnson Harold Ramirez uh, which guy sticks which guy stays to be the the utility guy the backup uh, or a, a, a sort of did any of them distinguish themselves enough to to maybe say yeah this is the guy who we're going to keep let the other guys go and he can be the 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 sub guy yeah you know I think you know, just off the top of my head, I'd go with Zimmer. You know, I like his defense. I like his speed. He's got occasional power, um, you know, and he has, and he's your former number one pick. So he's got that going for him, you know, and Mercado is kind of right there too. He's kind of an interesting guy to me, but, you know, but I, I would think, you know, if, if you, if you have to keep one of them and I think they will, they could keep two of them. Uh, you know, I think Zimmer would be my my first choice, even though, you know, we've seen a lot of him and, you know, he's he's a great athlete, but we, we still haven't seen the bat. You know, we still haven't seen him hit consistently. You just love those 470 foot home runs. That's what yeah, you like, yeah. right? You just like to see that. You just want to see him match up against his brother again every time they face the uh, the uh, the Royals. That's that's what it don't you're not fooling me, Hoinsey. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on, Opsha, uh, priorities for the Guardians in the offseason. Uh, they need to address two positions in particular on the infield, second base, and uh, like we, we mentioned with Perez catcher, is Austin Hedges going to be your number one guy? Uh, it sort of looks like they're sort of trending in that direction. Um, and you traded away 
Cesar Hernandez, who you had a, an option year on when you traded him. So what are you going to do at second base? Uh, do you give that to Yu Chang, Owen Miller, Andres Jimenez? Uh, or is there a, you know, do you go outside the system and, and try and get a guy there? Jeez, oh man, that, that is, you know, and like a catcher, I think, you know, I would think uh, you, you, you stick with hedges, you find a backup, you know, a solid backup, or maybe you call somebody up from the minors. Uh, so I, I think you can fill that spot, you know, with, uh, you know, with uh, a minimum of, uh, you know, expense there, but, uh, the second base, I think that's got to be your, that's got to be a homegrown position to me. I mean, you've tried all these guys out. There had to be a reason for that, and uh, you know maybe maybe it's uh, that, that Gabriel Arias. Maybe you move uh, you know Rosario to second and puts one of your kids at shortstop. I, I don't know, but I think that you got to plug that position in from the farm system. I mean, you've been right. drafting middle right. infielders for six years, so. Hopefully one of them is ready. Well, let's presuppose that they're just going to start Ahmed Rosario at shortstop and, and let him go there like they they did uh, after May of, of, of last year, and, and the results were, were pretty outstanding. Uh, let's say he starts the season there at shortstop. Uh, I think you're right. I think it opens up uh, a great big wide-open competition in uh, spring training where guys like you mentioned, Gabriel Arias, who had an outstanding season, at uh, at AAA, where he came over from uh, the Mike Clevenger deal at the end of last year, uh, Owen Miller, another one in that deal that uh, you know had some experience up. Uh, you know, didn't really blow anybody's doors off the first time he came up, but uh, sort of started. You could see him sort of starting to figure it out at the end of the season. There, uh, Yu Chang really made himself pretty valuable as a a, a, a do everything kind of piece. He played all four infield positions at one point during the season. Uh, and Andres Jimenez, who you got in the Lindor deal, uh, who did start to figure things out the last couple of weeks. Like I said, he was one guy who could really benefited from another month of uh, the, the regular season just because he had just started to figure things out at the plate and, and looked really confident there. Um, but then you also got to figure, you got to figure Brian Rocchio is going to be on the 40 man roster uh, after uh for, to protect him from rule five and he's going to get a, a major league camp invite. He, he was in camp for a little bit last year. And I, this is the future for you right there. He, he could be your, your future shortstop. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got a lot of, a lot of players to go through. And I, I, I like what you said about spring training. It'd be an interesting competition, you know, but you know, basically we saw two months of that competition you know, right. in, in right. August and September here. And, uh, you know, you, I think, you know, usually when you have, when you put guys head to head like that, it doesn't, it doesn't turn out well, but we, like you said, we started to see some signs at the end of the season. Chang came on after, you know, coming up in, in, in August. Uh, so did uh, Owen Miller and uh, so did uh, uh, Jimenez, you know, after he got called up. So, you know, that's, that's, that's a promising thing. And it's a good problem to have, I guess, when you have a lot of, you know, talent to fill one spot and, you know, all those guys are young. They all have options. I think maybe Chang doesn't have an option. I'm not, and I'm not sure how many Chang, options Chang has, but Miller and, and Jimenez and, you know, Arias and Rocio, you can send those guys up and down. 
you know, if you, if you think they're overmatched or they need a break or you want to see somebody else. So I think that's going to be one of those positions where we see a lot of different, you know, we could see a lot of different faces in, uh, next season. Right. I'm trying to find if, if Chang has a, an option left, I can't find it right now off the top of my head or, or on these sites, but uh, you know, just a, a very interesting uh, competition coming up there in, in spring training. Uh uh, one place, one area where uh, you, you've got some certainty, I guess, is the back end of the bullpen. So another offseason priority for the Guardians here, uh, filling in, uh, you know, sort of the the areas between uh, getting the starters uh, to the bridging the starters to the the closer there, and Emmanuel Classe, uh, who who was outstanding in his, you know, he was a top five reliever in all of baseball last year, uh, just. Out, out, uh, 470 some pitches over 100 miles an hour uh, you just can't even fathom that I uh, couldn't even understand numbers like that before the season started until we saw him do it uh, but the big question is who's going to get him the ball uh, who's got the eighth inning is it James Karinchak did he do enough to, to get himself right uh, to come back and be effective at the major league level uh, after the, the whole sticky substances thing sort of threw him for a loop there uh, is Anthony Ghost, uh, you know, in his 100-mile-an-hour arm, uh, a, a viable option, a reliable enough option uh, to run him out there? Is he going to be there? Uh, you, you had Blake Parker and Brian Shaw, uh, two guys who were uh, in the twilight, uh, maybe uh, definitely Parker's in the twilight of his career. Who knows how long uh, Shaw's going to pitch with, you know, with his arm that will never fall off. Uh, but, you know, two older veteran guys, do you, do you try and bring either or both of those guys back? Uh, you've got Trevor Steffen, who was a Rule 5 guy uh, that stayed with the club all year and went through the ups and downs and, and sort of looked like he had, had figured some things out and now wants to be a bullpen piece instead of a starter next year. Uh, Sam Hentges looks like he's he sort of figured out who he was, and he's going to be a bullpen guy uh, coming back next year. Uh, so there are there are some, some potential pieces, some young potential pieces out there, uh, but you've, you've got to do what the Indians do best. And that's, you know, find the veteran guys to sort of uh, fill in the blanks, I guess, uh, between the starter and the, the closer at the back end. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And that's what Shaw and, and Whitgren and, and, uh, and Parker did so well this, this year, you know, even, you know, the bullpen may have kind of, what wasn't as dominant as, as it has been in the past, but they really helped those young guys, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, to get to, so, that, you know, I mean, they ate some innings, they, 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 you know, they, they pitched in situations kind of where, where the, the younger pitchers could kind of sit back and, and watch them work. And then toward the end of the season, you know, they started to get more high leverage situations with Henkes and, and Stefan. And, you know, we saw Karinchek dominate the first half and, you know, kind of blow up in, right after the break, come back, you know, and, and make at least one appearance. But he kind of got himself together a little bit in, in Columbus. So we'll see. We'll have to see how he, you know, just have to see how he does in spring training. But, you know, they've been good putting the bullpen together, like you said, Joe. And I, I would think they'll be able to put, put some veteran pieces in with those young guys uh, this offseason. Yeah, there should be an off, there should be a, an end of the season uh, award for the front office that does the best job of assembling a bullpen. Uh, you know, pretty much out of thin air. I think the Indians have, have done it, 
or, or Cleveland has done it over the last few years uh, as good as anybody in baseball. All right, last area uh, that we talk about, the, the offseason priorities, I guess, for the Guardians heading into next season, uh, the payroll. We've heard for years now the debate and with the, the Dolan family owning the team and you know what the, the, the franchise's budget is in terms of what the payroll can be. It was one of the lowest in all of baseball this past season. You know, they cut things pretty much to the bone uh, heading into this year, knowing they were going to be young. Uh, is it, are they on the cusp enough? Are they close enough to maybe start spending a little bit and, and get this team uh, back to the level of being uh, competitive at the top of the division? Well, I don't know if they're ever, you know, the average payroll last this past season was a hundred million dollars. And even if they increase the payroll, they're not going to get close to that in, in 2022. So, so uh, you know, what, what they're looking at, I think is so, an increase maybe to 65 to 70 million, uh, you know, from 50 million, um, you know, a lot of that'll be internal, you know, with guys eligible for arbitration, uh, you know, if they pick up uh, Ramirez's uh, option, uh, you know, you know, it'll be interesting to see, like we've talked uh, about what Shane Bieber gets, what kind of deal he gets uh, to avoid arbitration, or does he go to arbitration? You know, this is his first year eligible. So, uh, you know, that, that's going to be, uh, that, that's going to eat up a lot of that increase. And, but, you know, I thought it was encouraging, you know, when Antonetti, Chris Antonetti told us in the season wrap that, uh, you know, that they were going to explore external and internal ways of, uh, you know, you know, improving the team. And, and that means increasing payroll. So we'll have to see where it goes. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not going to be, you know, they're, they're, don't expect them to go, you know, to back to where they were, what, in 2017 when they were out, I think they were at $135 million. That's not going to happen. Right. And the X factor all that is, can they identify and uh, get a, um, minority investor in the fold and inject some cash that way, uh, that could be, uh, you know, the, the biggest, you know, and that could be the biggest priority right now uh, behind the scenes for them is, is finding uh, somebody to invest and, you know, and give them the ability to pay some of these uh, free agents. And, and maybe, maybe they're only targeting, you know, maybe one or one big signing or something like something along those lines. Well, like you said, to, to hear Antonetti talk, it sounded like he is of the thinking that there will be resources to invest back in the team. To to me, when I hear that, I see I hear okay, you know, we're going to work on extending contracts to some yeah. of our our core guys, and that's got to include Bieber, Ramirez, maybe even uh, a Framil Reyes uh, as somebody that they you know look to extend, and then you know, maybe they've got one bullet in the gun to, to go out and, and, you know, shoot for a, a free agent that way. Uh, it, it, it is all possible. These are all, some of these seem like pie in the sky sort of things for a, for a Cleveland baseball fan who, who's just been conditioned over the last several years to, to not expect them to be able to be competitive on the free agent market or, or to sign anybody. I think, I think the last time I, we were all pleasantly surprised at their ability to go out and sign a player was Edwin Encarnacion in, in 2017. It was, that was sort of the, the mirror, the, the Christmas miracle that fell into their lap. Uh, and, and, and it, Indians fans and, and followers really uh, Cleveland baseball followers really haven't had 
uh, a free agent signing to, to really celebrate like that since then. So, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they, there's a method to their madness, I guess. We've been beaten down so much that, <laughs> you know, we, we don't, we expect the minimum. <laughs> right. Well, uh, we don't expect the minimum from us. We'll, uh, we'll be finishing out this week with a few more podcasts here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Hoinsey, we will talk to you again on Wednesday. All right, Joe.